Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mirai Nagasu had her moment. She was a national champion at 14 and at the top of the elite United States figure skating community. After placing fourth at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver at the age of 16, the stage was set for her to shine four years later in Sochi. But something happened on the way to gold medal glory. Despite a third-place finish at the U.S. Nationals in 2014, the U.S. Figure Skating Committee did not select her to represent Team USA in Russia. Mirai was broken. She was a 20-year-old skater lacking confidence, direction, and in this sport, the benefit of youth. Since that night in 2014, Mirai has used one of the benefits of age, maturity, to fuel a relentless drive of purpose and self-discovery that only had one final destination, Pyeongchang, South Korea. Now as the elder statesman of U.S. figure skating at a mere 24 years old, she was out to claim her final moment on the stage she was born to take. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Bonnie Ford as we talk about the all-consuming drive of an athlete looking to prove the world and herself wrong. Now we present A Star Reborn by Bonnie Ford. Mirai Nagasu hears the throaty ovation from the Boston crowd, an amalgam of admiration and pity, as she comes to stillness at center ice. She tries to steady her breath and keep her shoulders from quaking as the sound crests, delaying the start of her program. The spotlight reveals her crumpled face and puffy eyes. She's about to perform in the gala at the U.S. Figure Skating Nationals, hours after being passed over for the 2014 Olympic team, despite finishing third. The show is a lighthearted victory lap for the chosen ones, but not for her. This is the beginning of the rest of her competitive life. The way forward is complicated. She is 20 years old in a sport that eats its young. A quadrennial, it might as well be an eternity, will spool out before she'll have another shot at the Olympics. She is without a coach or any momentum. Right now, all she knows is that she won't let the show go on without her, even though everyone would have understood if she'd declined. This exhibition program is something she can control. She'll do spins and spirals and triple jumps, landing lightly even though she has never felt heavier. Fellow skater Adam Rippon had choreographed the number about a month before, setting it to a delicate piano solo from the soundtrack of On Golden Pond, a film about mortality and reckonings. An outsider might interpret it as an elegy for her career. She has been a U.S. champion and an Olympian, finishing fourth at the 2010 Vancouver Games in a spectacular competition. It's been a fine run by any measure. Tears well in her eyes through the entire three-minute program. People in the stands cry with her. They rise when she finishes. Their applause is gratifying and awful and unforgettable. Nagasu curtsies to all four sides of the rink, but she isn't bowing out. She does not intend to remain frozen in this moment, like a sad figurine atop a music box. Four years later at Nationals in San Jose, California, with the Olympic Selection Committee about to start deliberations, Nagasu would tell reporters she has devoted every minute since that poignant, harrowing performance 
to making herself a stronger competitor in person. I wasn't going to let a decision that wasn't mine keep me from my dreams, she'd say. It's like not getting into university. If you don't get in the first time, what are you going to do? Not apply again? No, you keep applying until you make it happen. Mirai means future in Japanese. It embodied the hopes of her parents, Kyoto and Ikuko, who worked long hours running a sushi restaurant in the Los Angeles suburb of Arcadia and initially thought their only child might have a talent for golf. But Mirai fell in love with figure skating at age five. Her name seemed self-determining, even as she helped wash dishes at the restaurant and napped on a cot in the storage room. Nagasu first defied convention at age 14 in 2008, when she won the U.S. Senior Championship a year after winning the junior title. No woman had done that back-to-back in 70 years, testament to how many rising talents are detoured or completely derailed by puberty and burnout. Her lollipop face and sweetly vulnerable manner belied a ferocious perfectionism. I've never seen anyone work so hard says Charlene Wong, her primary coach from 2007 to 2009. Nagasu would fib that her feet were not aching so that she could keep training. She would overdo everything, Wong says. She was a little bit difficult when I taught her. When you're that good, you're like a wild pony. Yet Nagasu's stubborn resolve coexisted with visible fragility. She brushed away tears as she began her long program at the 2009 Nationals knowing she wouldn't repeat as champion. On the eve of the 2009-10 Olympic season, reporters discovered how disconcertingly honest she could be. There are moments when I think I'm not very smart and not very pretty, and skating is the only thing that stands out about me, she said. It's like the love of my life. When you love someone, sometimes you want to break up. She migrated across Los Angeles to work with veteran coach Frank Carroll, who tried to manage her nerves with tough love, instituting a no-cry zone and telling her he'd summon rink security if she went off script during her run-throughs. Their first season together was a success, but both were open about her struggles with self-esteem, which Nagasu labeled her dark side and evil Mirai. As the final skater at the Vancouver Games, Nagasu drew the unenviable task of performing in the emotional vacuum left by Canada's Joannie Rochette, whose mother had died suddenly days before. Dressed in red and black as Carmen, Nagasu skated cleanly and placed fourth overall, confirming her potential. Her path to the next Winter Games looked clear. But her trajectory began to zigzag again a month later at the World Championships, where Nagasu led after the short program before crumbling in the free skate to finish seventh. She craved success and attention, but struggled with the expectations they carried. She'd voiced her angst openly to Carol at a Grand Prix event earlier that season, sobbing, I don't want to be first. They parted ways in 2012. The two-hour commute was too much for her, and her mood swings were too much for him. She bounced between coaches for the next two seasons, training briefly in Japan before the momentous snub at the 2014 Nationals. Devastated and rudderless, Nagasu decided she wanted a change of venue. She was about to turn 21 
and had never lived away from home. She thought Colorado Springs-based coach Tom Zakrychek might offer the right balance of challenge and support. They discussed terms over lunch at Panera. Look, Mirai, I'm really interested in working with you, but I don't want you to hang on, Zakrychek said. I think you can be way better than you've ever been. She agreed. They were going to accelerate forward, just as a certain jump would require. Nagasu has fantasized about perfecting the elusive triple axel, the most difficult jump in women's figure skating, since she was 12. Tackling it in her 20s, an age where many pro women are either refining their technique or winding down altogether, contradicts basic precepts of the sport. Nagasu wants to show she is still evolving. Axles are the only jumps skaters launch facing forward. The triple axle, worth nearly twice the base value of the easiest triple jump, will help her contend at the Olympic level. She has this ride-or-die attitude about her skating, says her boyfriend, Darian Weiss. Nagasu initially uses a harness to absorb the feeling of more rapid rotations. She does six to ten axles in every practice for a year and a half, learning the speed, height, lean, and tuck. It bothers her when her 17-year-old training partner, Vincent Joe, with the advantages of youth and strength, conquers the jump before she does. She consults a sports psychologist to tackle the toughest discipline of all, being present. You can train to be ready for the nerves, and we simulate it all the time. But it's never the same when it actually matters, she says. We work a lot on exercises I can use when I'm not feeling comfortable, when that adrenaline hits me. It's easy to look into the future and worry about the past. Her artistry has never been in question, but for most of her career, edge calls on jumps, errors that are practically invisible to the untrained eye and result in downgrades from judges have eaten into her scores. Zakrychek deconstructs her technique and then helps her rebuild it. It's a great working relationship, she says. I was looking for that person who I could really trust with my skating. She abides by his no-nonsense approach, and he accepts her unfiltered honesty. At one practice, sensing that Zakrychek is distracted, she strokes over to the boards and announces... I don't like this lesson right now. I can tell you're not giving me 100%. Startled, the coach realizes she's right. In spring 2017, Nagasu tweets a sneak preview of a triple axel with the caption, Hey world, this is what I've been up to. Love, Mirai. Five months later, she becomes the eighth woman in history to land it in international competition. She has opened each of her programs with it since using the crowd's palpable anticipation as fuel. I can assure you that I love attention, and I love being recognized for my ability to do such a difficult jump, she says. Her progress parallels her personal evolution. She takes college classes and is in a serious relationship. She and Weiss, a former ice dancer, have been together for three years now, with three beautiful dogs as our kids, she says. By late December, Zakrychek is cautiously optimistic about Nagasu's chances to cement an Olympic spot at nationals. 
She is skating with precision and abandon in practice, but she hasn't been able to replicate that when the judges are watching. Mirai feels every single thing possible, Zakrychek says. That means she also feels every single thing that's different when she goes out to compete. How do you go about acknowledging that and still do what you want to do? Christmas night, the coach sees The Last Jedi, and one scene tugs at him. Luke Skywalker sets out to destroy the iconic Jedi tree and ancient texts as a way to bury the past. When he hesitates, Yoda launches a lightning bolt to set them afire. The greatest teacher failure is, the Jedi Master tells his former student. Zakrychek calls it a Mirai moment, and it's what he wants for her at Nationals. A moment where not only do you get your redemption, but you're ready for it, he says. When Nagasu hears his take, she laughs. Tom would burn the tree, she says. I would definitely be mad about it, too. But she recognizes the dramatic arc of her own learning curve in the script. Failure is inevitable, she says. It's how you rebound from it and become a better person that defines who you are. There are no tears of dread before her free skate at Nationals in January, just nerves and cheeky candor. As skater and coach walk laps around the arena, Zakrychek idly mentions the number of steps he's logged that day. It's not about you, Nagasu says. She half rebuffs him when he delivers a final you-can-do-it pep talk. I told him, you better be there with me in spirit because it's not easy to go out there alone, she says. In the program, Nagasu does a fully rotated triple axel. It steps out of the landing. It doesn't matter. She hits all her other jumps in an elegant performance to Miss Saigon. Zakrychek is bounding up and down by the boards before the end. The selection committee cannot deny her this time. She buries her face in her hands when she sees her personal best score, 213.84 points. I have always believed that I've been an amazing skater, regardless of what the results say, Nagasu tells reporters afterward, flanked by two teens, Brady Tunnell and Karen Chen. I think that determination and confidence has kept me in the game this long. I'm aware I'm the oldest here tonight, but I really feel like the comeback kid. The Olympic selections are announced at 5.15 a.m. Nagasu is in. She does interview after interview on 30 minutes of sleep, confirming her workaholic tendencies. I wanted this goal so badly that sometimes it's hard to differentiate between when it's time to stop and when it's time to push myself and keep going, she says. The gale of the next night is blissfully lacking the pathos of four years before. Nagasu her hair swinging loose in a long ponytail, skates her victory lap to the throbbing base of Queen's body language. It's a modern, sassy program, tailored for a woman comfortable in her own skin. The cheering afterward carries no undertow of sympathy. It is celebratory. It is earned. Excellent, excellent story. Now joining me in studio is ESPN senior writer, Bonnie Ford. Bonnie, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. 
let's get right into it. I want to ask you about uh, Mirai Nagasu. It seemed that as you told in the story, the seminal moment was how she used the 2014 national championships to fuel her. Now, how much is that is she held on to, and how much of it do you think she's let go? Mirai realizes that that moment actually is the start of the second half of her competitive career, if you will. And it's a moment that so many people remember her for because you have to set the scene here. This gala at the end of the U.S. National Championships, is it's a celebration. It's a victory lap for the skaters who have made the team. Mm -hmm. And yet – you know, she's just had this extremely public snub and she decides to perform anyway. They are invited. Many times a skater in her position will decline, but she yeah. elected to go out there. She's crying the whole time. The audience gives her a standing ovation before she even starts her program. Another one at the end. And she did it for herself in the sense to show that she was going to put one foot in front of the other starting that day. Mm -hmm. And she was going to continue to compete. She was not going to uh, adhere to the skating, uh, the conventional wisdom that someone as old, and I'm making air quotes, yeah. as her, 20 yeah. years old. Under the frame of figure skating. Right. That, that's that, that she was washed up. That, oh, she had her Olympics back when she was 16 and, and that was going to be it. She has been more willing to talk about it recently since she's been uh, obviously rebuilt her career right. than she was initially. When she met with her coach, Tom Zakrijek, a month later uh, to see if they were going to work together, they both agreed that that was not something that they wanted to dwell on. And mm -hmm. I, I believe that was sincere. He says that they've had five minutes of conversation about it in their entire four-year relationship. Wow. Because it seems like that could be a double-edged sword there where – you know, failure as a motivator, it can consume you while pushing you forward. But after the, and as far as her mindset and how sort of, as she's not as like the maturity has progressed, but just her honesty has always been there. And how in the piece, I was, when you mentioned how she said at 16, there are moments when I think I'm not very smart and not very pretty. And skating is the only thing that stands out about me. And now, her current quote is, I've always believed I've been an amazing skater, regardless of what the results say. Now, while she stands by her skating both times, has she evolved more in her self-esteem and is how she views herself? And do you think that's something that's helped or hurt her? She's definitely evolved, no question. And part of that 16-year-old statement was adolescent angst. Mm -hmm. All of us would speak about ourselves differently at that age. Sure. Mirai continues to be very wittily self-deprecating and very without filter in many of her statements, but she it's an adult self-deprecation. Mm -hmm. It's not that sort of really deep insecurity that right. we might have felt around her in those years. But she'll um, – she's – surprising things always come out of her mouth, put it that way, <laughs> and on her Twitter feed – she recently was doing uh, a promo for one of her sponsors and decided to let us all know that she prefers to use men's deodorant. Now, that's not something that uh, I think anyone would have thought to ask her, but Probably that's not. a great example of a little detail Mariah might throw in that another athlete might not. <laughs> so a part of that evolution maturity, her personal life seems since that moment at the national championships of 2014 has grown as well, where she made the big decision that when you're living in that bubble of being a, a Olympic athlete, you're sort of not 
really evolving on your own and like moving out on your own and whatnot. But she did that. She moved out of her house. She now has a boyfriend who is a former skater. Did you find that that doing those two things have grounded her in, in how so or important is that sort of change in her life to these games? She took ownership of her career. When she moved to Colorado Springs and lived on her own for the first time, mm-hmm. in fact, her coach, uh, Tom Zakrajek, told me a story about when she was first living on her own, she was actually learning to cook for the first time. And she used to bake desserts for him and present them to him just to sort of, you know, show her prowess. Like, wow, look what I can do. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think all skaters, Ashley Wagner's actually talked about this too, when they take that step from being the, you know, preteen or the teenager who's with mom and dad all the time to maybe moving to a ring, changing coaches and being more on their own, mm-hmm. you can see there's a difference. They're invested in it in a different way. Maybe they're contributing more financially or maybe, you know, a foundation or a sponsor now is is helping out as opposed to mom and dad. So they're more in it for themselves. As far as her relationship, she uh, has been very private about it until pretty recently. But I had a chance to talk to Darian Weiss, her boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, who is, as you pointed out, a skater. He's done some choreography. He's a former actor. He's very self-assured. And uh, obviously very, very supportive of her career. Sure. So they look like uh, it's a kind of a winning partnership. So it seems that basically she's almost either openly or subliminally, she's uh, she's kind of taught herself, in order to get what I want, I probably need to not hold on to it so tight. Wow. Well, I'm not sure I would say that because she is tenacious to a fault. When she doesn't execute a jump or execute a run-through of a program Mm -hmm. in practice, she does it again and again and again and again into exhaustion where her coach has to tell her to stop. And then even then she runs through the red light sometimes. (laughs) We saw her, uh, Elaine Tang uh, and I, who was at uh, U.S. Nationals with me, we saw her do 14 triple axle repetitions in one practice. And... Uh, I verified that with Tom afterwards. That's not really standard, especially when you had a major event like that. Right. But she, that's just her character and it always has been. So going to the triple axel and I, we, I've seen clips and you and I've spoken about it too, how we've been taught sort of how significant this trick is. And when that's why they get those announcers and they go, whoa, when she does it to sort of communicate to us. What you just saw was a big deal. Now, why, to get a little technical for figure skating for a second here, why is this trick such a big deal? For those who may have trouble distinguishing jumps on Mm -hmm. television or in person, sure. when I was learning skating myself, it was the one I could pick out because you go into it forward as opposed to backward, but you land it backwards. So you're doing an extra half rotation. Mm-hmm. That alone, for these skaters who are such thoroughbreds and have such routines, yeah. that's different. The, the entry direction and then the fact that you're doing the extra half revolution. It's a jump, Mike, that a lot of male skaters struggle with right. and, and more so today than uh, in the past because they're focusing more on quads, mm-hmm. which have a higher base value. So they're training the axle less and you're seeing a lot more stumbles on that. As far as the women are concerned, we're only talking about 25 years of history with it mm-hmm. and only eight women 
who have done it in elite competition. So it's been an extremely slow progression. I think it's viewed as such a high-risk jump for women Mm -hmm. that a lot of them just don't want to do it. They'd rather focus on a triple-triple combination or something else that they feel like they're really going to deliver on. Yeah, because it's sort of – it's the equivalent of like playing poker and just putting all your chips in because either you get it or you don't. That's right. So as far as this trick and you're talking about how committed she was to getting it down and executing it and practicing it, how much of it was doing – was this – how much of the importance was because it would get her back to the Olympics or because it tells the skating world who sort of left her behind that night, hey, I'm still here? There's a little bit of both. It was a defiant act, in my opinion. She had been dabbling with it, practicing it. Her childhood coach, Charlene Wong, told me that she actually started uh, playing with it when she was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And in a way, when you're 12, some of those things are easier because you've got a little tiny narrow body and you can uh, spin faster. But she wanted to show that she was evolving, that she wasn't just bringing back the same package, uh, performance package that she had brought back you know, brought in 2014 or in 2010. Mm-hmm. And it certainly, it was going to uh, absolutely on the national or the Olympic stage be a big points bonanza mm-hmm. if she could do it. And at nationals, she opens both of her programs, her short and her long with the triple axle. And you can feel that tension in the crowd uh-huh. when she's, uh, you know, going, knows going into it. That's right. And, there's a, some little nuances where you can land it clean, but if you maybe tap your toe coming out of it or something, you don't get what they call a uh, full grade of execution on it. You might get a negative grade of execution. That's all kind of in the weeds. But uh, the fr- the best and cleanest and um, most uh, high- highest scored triple axle that she's ever done, she happens to do uh, at the Olympics. So <laughs> quite a coup for her. Now, as far as her makeup, when she's in her focus, at one point during her training, you have a story where she says, I don't like this lesson right now. I can tell you're not giving me 100%. How much of that is her drive and how much of that is her character? Is she two different people? Meaning, as the example is, like, would she be at like Starbucks and then look at her latte and go, nope, you didn't work on this hard enough? That anecdote, I love that anecdote because that came out of a question from me to her coach, Tom, saying she's so honest in her her interviews. Is she that way with you? And he proceeds to tell me this story of her skating up to him and saying this very blunt thing Yeah, and him realizing that she's right, that he actually is distracted by something. And, uh, you know, so they had a conversation about it afterwards. The thing about Mariah is that she has this as anyone who's listened to any of her interviews, she has this little kind of piping sing-song voice. And so she can say something very blunt like that, <laughs> and you kind of don't realize that the knife's in until she's already pulled it out. It's a little, uh, I- little Irish diplomacy. Yeah, so it's not threatening. It's not angry. It's not. It's just very blunt. And yes, I do believe that if the Starbucks barista messed up her order, she would say that, not to be cranky or mean, but just to say, you were supposed to do this and you did that. So as far as this, she's redeemed herself by, she's on the Olympic team. She opens up the Olympics with an amazing triple axle. Now what happens next, meaning is she at peace with being back here at 24 with an 18 and 19-year-old as her teammates? 
Or and will she be fine without a medal? And what's next if she gets one? Like what's next overall in all the scenarios that could happen now that she's here? It is weird for those of us who covered her as a young girl to all of a sudden time has sort of collapsed and she's the elder stateswoman of the team. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think she's fine with that. I think she is so pleased that she was able to do what she set out to do. And that's it's so hard. You have to have not only the work ethic, not only the talent, not only the right team of people around you. You have to have some luck, you sure. know, and and stay healthy and uh, not have anything else catastrophic in, in your personal life. So I often say that in sport, doing what's expected of you is the most difficult thing. And she did what was expected of herself and not what anyone else expected. I think six months ago, there are a lot of people who would have put a lot of money down on her not making the team. Right. But given what she's done uh, in the last few months, she's absolutely put herself in a podium conversation. Mm-hmm. The Russians are really, really hard to overcome their technical and artistic package. But I think particularly if she lands the axle, she's got a shot uh, at a bronze medal. That would be really the end to a, a saga that we have not seen. Or I shouldn't say end. Let me let me back, back okay, off that word sure. for a minute. She has made no indication at all of what her future plans are. And bully for her because, you know, it's enough to have gotten sure. where she is. No matter what happens, she will be – she was already beloved in the figure skating community. I think she's transcended that now and mm-hmm. reached a lot of other fans and people who are interested in seeing someone come back from being right. so far down. And uh, she'll be skating in shows if she wants to or, you know, someone who can – be uh, that high-profile star in figure skating for as long as she wants to. So would you say, could you hear the argument of both, of both sides, of, of victory and a defeat, would would another fourth-place finish with the competition she's facing and what she's gone through to get here, would that be, in a way, a victory? Great question. I Fourth is, the in a way, the hardest place to land right. at the Olympics. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, she would have to be so proud of that in one sense, but then so frustrated that yes. depending on how close the scoring was and everything that she came that close or that near the podium. Uh, but I, I think her Olympics is frankly already a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure she would agree with that, but whatever she does in the individual competition, that moment that we all saw uh, last week is that's going to be the moment that any documentary, any story about her, yes. instead of the tears in the exhibition four yep. years ago, this is now the moment that defines her. I'm sure Nathan Chen will be happily trade places with her and how yes. she's a, what she's able to bring to the table. Yep. Now, as far as bigger picture with the Olympics, Michaela Schifrin and Chloe Kim, these women are getting lots of attention. and But could you argue that this is the Olympic story we should be talking about? Because while it's great, we talk about Mr. Chen, and it's great to deliver in your prime as a, as you have been laser-focused to do and that these women are doing, but um, isn't it more an intrinsically American story to get back up and succeed in something that knocked you down? 
I really don't want to compare those three because they all have such different and, and great stories. I would say that what's most interesting about Mariah's, uh, uh, you know, yes, it's a comeback story and so forth. She and several other skaters, several other women in her sport are redefining that word prime that mm-hmm. you just used. Yep. Of course, there's always going to be a fleet of uh, jumping bean teenagers who succeed on, mm-hmm. on that stage. But she and Ashley Wagner and Carolina Costner and, and a number of others have shown that there is a place for mature women in the sport. Mm-hmm. And so is she in her prime? Maybe. Was she in her prime eight years ago? I don't know. It's 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 now it's kind of a moving target now, the talk of what the prime of a woman skater's career is. Well, she's definitely redefining a lot of things and we can't wait to see what she's able to do the rest of the Olympics. Bonnie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And you can read this story and more in the Gold Rush, powered by ESPNW, a special collaboration with ESPN the magazine. It's February 19th issue. And if you want Bonnie to do a triple axel, all you have to just do is ask. I don't know. I'm still kind of scuffling on the landing, but we'll we'll see. Better than I would do. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.